Welcome to the Engineer Soft Skills Podcast. On this one, we have a very special guest who is Terry Suffredini. Terry runs the website theengineerscoach.com and is known as The Engineer's Coach. She has worked for about 20 years in environmental engineering in Texas and had a lot of insight to share on this podcast. So I'm excited for us to jump into this episode and I think there's a lot to glean from Terry's experience and advice specifically because she has developed, obviously she has a long career in engineering, but also she has developed a lot of coaching skills and through studying personal development and constantly reading and learning about it, she has a unique and helpful perspective on how you can develop yourself in your career and as a person as an engineer. So without further ado, I hope that you enjoy my interview with Terry Suffredini. Welcome to the Engineer Soft Skills Podcast. My mission is to help engineers like you develop your soft skills, which are all the skills you weren't taught in engineering school. You will learn how to develop your confidence, increase your productivity, become a better problem solver, and improve your social skills in order to design a career and life that you love. I am here with Terry Sufredini. Uh, who is a professional engineer who graduated from the University of Texas with a degree in chemical engineering. She worked as a process design engineer and product manager, and she now runs The Engineer's Coach, where she is a coach and speaker. Terry, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. Um, I was curious, what is your background and how did you get go from being in engineering to getting into coaching? Because I needed a coach myself, I saw the value of it. Um, I sort of stumbled into engineering, which is a story we probably don't have time to get into here. But uh, when I got out of school, I didn't really plan uh, my career. I took a job that I could get in the town I was in because I wanted to stay there at the time, which, you know, since I went to the University of Texas in Austin, that was Austin. And there weren't a lot of jobs for chemical engineers there. So I ended up um, in the environmental field, um, doing, um, well, air permitting and learning about air, air regulations, you know, air emissions uh, control. And I did that for a while, moved into, started with a regulatory agency, did that for a while, didn't like it, thought, well, maybe I need to try a different side. So I moved over into the consulting side, working for companies, helping them you know, work with the agency, get their permits and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I didn't like that either. The problem was that I really, I, I, if I had wanted to be a lawyer, I'd gone to law school. We spent a lot of time reviewing regulations and trying to make sure that you've crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. And that was just never anything that I wanted to do. I'm, I'm much too much of a people person to want to spend my time doing that and writing technical descriptions and all that kind of stuff. And and trying to um, read through all the fine points in those regulations and make sure you've covered every single one. And then they go in, and just about the time you got them all figured out, they go and add some more and change them. And then you got to learn them all over again. So it's very frustrating for me. Um, but I did that for about 20 years because I, uh, you know, it was, it was easy to get jobs in that arena. It was harder to figure out what else I was going to do. And um, I was also raising my family at the time. So it allowed me the opportunity to work sometimes part-time as contract 
Um, it just gave me a lot of flexibility. But eventually, I got so to the point where I could not do it, even force myself to do it anymore. And at that point, I ended up finding, um, I stumbled upon a, a coach. I didn't really even know about coaching at that point. And told her what my situation was. And she said, I can help you. So I said, okay, you're on. And uh, we worked we worked together for a little while. And um, then she, um, she did help me find the right path. But in the same time, I realized that I really enjoyed the coaching and I saw the benefit of it. I wanted to help others get out of the same situation that I had found myself in because I knew I wasn't the only one. I knew something like 50% of the people out there at least are in jobs that they really don't like, that are not a good fit for them. And that's, that's very difficult on you as the person in the situation, but it's also, think about it, it's not good for your, your employer. You know, employers benefit when they've got employees who are fully engaged, who are doing what they're meant to be doing, who are working at their best. And most of us are not, you know, we're just getting through the day. So, um, so that's when my passion for coaching started. And in the meantime, you know, and then that's a learning process. You've got to learn how to uh, be a good coach. You got to learn the different aspects of building a business, marketing a business effectively, and all that. So, in the meantime, um, I ended up finding a, getting an opportunity to go to work in a totally different field through a contact that I had made with my coaching, who uh, was in that arena and said, "Hey, we need somebody. Would you like to consider coming to work for us?" And I said, "Well, I have never done. This was the engineering, the process design. I've never done that before." He said, well, we've got a, a starting um, entry-level position. We just need more people right now, and we'd be happy to let you come on board and give it a shot. And so they did, and I really enjoyed it, and I learned a lot. It was like drinking from a fire hose to start all over again, basically, learning um, things I had learned in school but I had forgotten because I hadn't done them in so long. And uh, But I was able to be, you know, contribute and learn and grow and now I've been in that field for uh, since 2007 I believe it was so you know 13 years and now I've moved my way into the management side the project management side of it so um, it's been an interesting journey and meanwhile the coaching you know continues along with it so that's kind of where it is that um, that leaves something out ask me questions so I can <laughs> yeah yeah no that was great um yeah, I'm curious. So as a coach, what are the things that you find are most valuable to that you learned when you were an engineer looking to better yourself and that you find that you pass along to engineers looking for ways to better themselves? One of the biggest things I think is encouragement. It is finding out, first of all, that you're not the only one in this situation. So while each of us is unique, this kind of situation is not. And there's ways to get out of it. So I offer hope as well as encouragement. When um, I'm sort of shifting, I've done a lot of career coaching for the last many years because that's where my interest started. But I'm, I'm shifting focus now to working with um, women in technical fields, specific, you know, women in male-dominated fields, which uh, includes engineers and a lot of that, but helping them in, with their leadership skills and showing them that uh, whatever it is that might be stopping them from moving ahead, helping them figure out what those things are and blasting through that so that they can achieve 
their their full potential. Um, we need. Um, there's a lot of younger. You know, I'm I'm on the back end of my career now. I'll I'll admit that. But there's a lot of younger women coming in now that can benefit from the things that I have experienced over the years as an engineer, uh, dealing with um, being oftentimes the only woman in the room. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there's some things to learn to help you navigate through all that, that most, many of them do not, do not know how to do on their own. So, you know, it's just the opportunity to show people how to be the best that they can be. That's the goal is for each one of us to be the best us that we can be. Yeah, I love that. Well said. And when it comes to specifically teaching the women in engineering who may often feel those, you know, biases against women or the mm-hmm. the feeling that they're the only person, they're the only, you know, female in the room, um, what are the things that you work with them on? What are the tips that you give them? A lot of it has to do with developing confidence, believing in their own abilities, and then have you heard of the imposter syndrome? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big issue right now. There's a lot of positions that women will not apply for, but that they're qualified for, because they're afraid for one reason or another. So if I help them see what it is they bring to the table, what their strengths are, what their capabilities are, what their um, personality style is like, and and give them the reason to um, take the chance to go out beyond what they're afraid of and reach out for what it is they really want, then I feel like that's the biggest thing that I can bring to them. Because fear holds us back from most things that we want to do. There's so many things that we could be out there doing that if we think about it, we're not doing it because we're afraid of something. And, you know, and fear is there for a reason, there are some times when you should listen to your fear, but many times in life, we're just letting it hold us back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fear makes sense when you're standing on the edge of a cliff or yeah. trying to cross traffic, but there's a lot of these more social or emotional fears that that are not useful. Not useful. They're not serving us. Yeah. I think it was uh, several years back, um, Hewlett Packard was wanting to get more women in positions of management. Mm -hmm. And so they were actively reaching out for women to apply to these positions. But after a while, they realized no one was applying. So they did a little in-house survey to find out what was going on. And they discovered that the women could have 100% of the qualifications uh, or almost 100%, but they they didn't think that they could do the job. And they, on the other hand, they'd have men who might have 60% or yeah. 70% and they'd be jumping in right up there for it, assuming that they could learn whatever it is they didn't already know how to do. And so when you see that that's what's going on, that's what makes me want to get out there and help because I know what the solution is for that. So it's it's about developing confidence. It's about realizing that you can... Um, that others are in the same, you know, they feel the same way. You're not the only one that feels insecure, but you can learn to, to grow beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. What are some of the, when you coach engineers in general, what are some of the things that you find 
yourself advising engineers on? Let's see, advising specifically engineers. Um, a lot of it has to do with being able to talk to other people. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I'm helping somebody with career search, career help, the first place we have to start with is their resume. And frankly, most people's resumes, and this is not just engineers, most people's resumes are not helping them. That's the nice way of putting it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and so I have to help them learn how to market themselves effectively, starting with the resume. Well, then once we have the resume in place so that it's working for them instead of against them, then the next step is now you got to start reaching out. Now you got to start talking to people. And, you know, I, we start with uh, getting the LinkedIn profile in place so that that also is working with you along with your resume. It's not hurting you. But once you've done that, then you have to start reaching out. I found my opportunity to get to transition into a different area of engineering because I had been working with others. I had been doing volunteer work and I had helped in that process of, of volunteering. I had helped someone who later was in a position to help me. And, it, it, you know, I didn't ask him to, it just worked out. So you have to reach out to people. You can talk to people you can, uh, that you're connected to on LinkedIn. You can contact them and ask them for information about their companies. If you're, if you're thinking you want to go to work for a company, you can reach out to, to them for any, any number of reasons, just really to get information. I throw this out while I'm thinking about it. You don't ever want to put somebody on the spot. You don't contact them and say, here, if I give you my resume, will you give it to your hiring person? That's not what it's all about, but there's ways to use all that. But the average engineer is more introverted and the thought of reaching out to get someone to help is extremely frightening, extremely frightening. And I have to help them figure out ways to do that that's safe. And sometimes you have to break it down to the smallest step and get them in and help them get through that first step. And then when they finish that first step, then the next one, the next one, so that they can learn how to do those things that you know start out being uncomfortable. But yeah, being typically being an, more introverted. That seems to be the biggest um, issue is helping them get beyond that. And then, of yeah. course, if you want to move into leadership positions and there's all, then there's all of those kind of issues, you have to learn how to work with people and understand the different personality styles and, and all of that so that you can effectively lead a team. Yeah. Yeah, I totally relate to what you're saying about um, feeling fear to put yourself out there when it comes to applying for a job. I remember you know, when it came mm -hmm. to having to do that for a while, I would just have all these limiting beliefs, all these reasons why, you know, I, I shouldn't reach out to this person or that other person. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's huge working on that. Like you said, um, I'm curious, it sounds like the bulk of what you think are important skills are more of the non-technical skills. Um, so like people skills um, mm -hmm. and developing rather than, um, if you're an introvert developing more social confidence, um, why do you think those are, why do you think those are the more important skills to develop? Because most of the stuff that we do involves working with other people, you know, even there are certain positions where 
you can do just your technical stuff and you don't have to be bothered with people very much. But those positions are, are fewer than the ones where you have to be involved in teamwork and leading teams. If you want to get into management, you know, which is really where most of the time where the money is going to be moving up the ladder, you have to learn how to get outside of the comfort of that technical world that we know and, and be able to, to um, deal with and get along with and work with all the people that are around us. So, yeah, I think, and, and that's true, not just at work, you know, we, mm-hmm. all of this stuff translates into our personal lives as well. Right. So if you learn how to deal more effectively with people on, um, at work, then that's going to help you deal more effectively with people away from work and vice versa. Whichever way you learn it, as long as you're learning it, that's what's important. It's going to impact everything. I mean, we're social creatures by nature. That's human. Yeah. And as much as introverts might like try to avoid that sometimes, you know, we, we are. We need them. You know, I'm I'm more introverted by de- definition, um, although I need people a lot. I think I'm white on that borderline. But this this isolation, you know, has gotten to me after a while. It's difficult, you know. Yeah. So first, you know, we introverts have an advantage in this, you know, isolation period. But after a while, <laughs> then we start going crazy and need a few people around. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think there's there's a good distinction to be made too between introverted and shy. Where, oh, yeah. yeah, I I think I am introverted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a spectrum, but I'm right. I'm a, I lean a little bit more introverted than extroverted. I would say, mm-hmm. and I think that there are you know your capacity to face social fears is a whole different subject, right? Because I think introverted versus extroverted is sort of how you how you build energy. So extroverts right. get energy from being around people and interacting. Introverts kind of gain energy more so through being alone and having their alone time. Right. Um, but that That's doesn't why I mean. That's by definition, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean you can't be an introvert and still um, go out and speak to people. So I think often people, people can hide behind that excuse to a degree. So I, I think it's great that you are, um, you know, helping introverts develop those, um, face their social fears. Right. You know, it, it, it's funny how many people out there that present themselves as being very outgoing, that, like they're in business development, they're in, in, in the procurement world, they're the people that are leading procurement departments, which means you're talking to everybody all day long about all kinds of things. But you find out that they're, that they're, they're actually introverts and you would never guess it because it seems like they're always talking. But by the definition... They need that alone time to recharge. And then the other thing you mentioned I wanted to talk about a little bit too is the shyness. You know, Mm -hmm. shyness is really about we're thinking too much about ourselves. Mm. We're worried too much about what others are thinking about us. So we, you know, we want to pull back and, and that's, that's fear, but we need to learn, you know, not to let what other people think about us determine how we're going to act. Because yeah. really, whatever pe- everybody else thinks of us is, you know, it's been said, it's none of your business. You know, it's really, <laughs> what, what somebody thinks of you beyond a certain 
point is really based on them and their life experiences and all these things. It really has nothing to do with you. Now, if you act like a jerk and somebody thinks you're a jerk, you know, yeah, maybe. But for mo most of the time, people will determine how they're going to respond to us based on stuff that actually has nothing to do with us. And so helping people to get beyond shyness is a big part of helping them to be able to reach out and become more of who they're supposed to be. So, yeah. and that happens to, it doesn't happen as much to extroverts. It's probably more of an introverts issue. Um, I'm not going to say there's no shy extroverts out there. I can't be sure, but shyness it does mean you're thinking too much about yourself and and sometimes the cure that too is to start focusing on others and getting involved with in others and helping others and then we tend to forget about ourselves and it becomes easier mm -hmm. yeah that's fantastic when you find yourself when you are working with somebody who's an introverted shy engineer who's a bit afraid to put themselves out there more what do you think are the best, what are the ways that you tend to work with those people? Slowly. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly and kindly. Um, we work towards a specific goal. So like we were talking about earlier, the, if, we're, if, if they're working towards finding another job and they're having trouble going beyond just searching job boards, <laughs> which is really not job search, um, and having to reach out to people, you have, I have to give them little steps first and I have to help them if they get stuck. Okay. What is it that's stopping you? What, what is the fear here? What is the objection? Whatever is it? And then we come up with a safety solution. Here's a real good safety solution. Um, and that people can use. And that is networking is tough many times for engineers. We go into a room and we don't know really what to say when we meet people. We get tongue-tied. The, the best thing to do for that is to come with a list of questions already prepared. So you can come up with a list of four or five really good open-ended questions that you can write them on a postcard or put them on a little sheet of paper, stick them in your pocket, stick them in your purse, whatever, that you can use when you go to events and you and you meet people and you use them as conversation starters. And first of all, open-ended questions keep the conversation going, right? And the nice thing about it too is these open-ended questions, if you get people talking about themselves, most people like to talk about themselves. So they can go on and on and on. And all you have to do is throw in a little, uh-huh, and a little bit of here, there, and maybe another question to keep, keep them going. And you, then you end up not oftentimes having to say that much and you walk away and they think you're a great conversationalist not realizing that you didn't even say that much most of the time yeah. you know, so that's a, a really um, common one that I throw out for people to use is to just have a list of questions available that you can use to prepare them ahead of time and take them with you and if you don't know what those kind of questions are you know they can be like Tell me about yourself. What do you like to do outside of work? What is most fun for you? But it, you can actually Google for good open-ended networking questions and you'll find a whole list of them. So that's uh, one suggestion I can make. But you have to work, you know, each, each person is individual. So when I'm working with them, I want to acknowledge 
where they're at. You never make somebody feel um, shamed or blamed in coaching. Coaching is very, um, uh, is very encouraging. And that's what you want it to be at all times. You don't want them to run away. You want them to be able to be hopeful and learning and growing as they go so that they're getting better. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I like what you said about having questions pre-planned, having it Mm -hmm. prepared, because I think we can often get into that situation. And even if we're, you know, we're like, Oh, I got this. I'm ready. Often we can get nervous and sort of clamp up and Mm -hmm. just not necessarily be present and in our bodies. And then all of a sudden we have, can't think of what to say. So just having those, you know, one or two things prepared and then it's just ready for you and you can just, you know, spit out a memorized thing. I think that can be really helpful. So, right. And you know, another thing comes to mind too, is I was working with um, a client the other day and we're in job search mode and she's worrying about, she's looking at two different ways she could go. And she was getting anxious and concerned because, well, what if this one job comes first, but that's not the job she really wants to be doing. She really wants to be doing a different type of job. So she's concurrently looking along two paths. You understand? One could come, one is more likely and could come more quickly, but the other is what she wants to be doing. Mm-hmm. All right. And, but she was getting really ups, worried and nervous about all this. And I said, well, well, wait a minute. First of all, you don't know that this other job is going to come first, you know, especially in this market, we have no idea what's going to happen. So why don't you just trust, keep working your path like you're doing, reaching out, um, keep your check, uh, your spreadsheet of how many people that you're reaching out to and applying for, you know, keep doing all the things that you need to do, the things that you have control over. Don't project into the future. Well, what if this and this, because you don't know. And you just get yourself all tied up in knots and worrying and it's not productive. But to just relax, be calm, focus on what you can do right now, what you have control over, and then just trust that everything will come in the time it needs to come. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I know that one of the, as you go to your website, uh, theengineerscoach.com, the the free guide that you have is great. And it's about um, 11 tips, uh, 11 surefire resume writing strategies that get results. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of those strategies? Wow. Well, there's a couple of them that are really important that most people don't know about. Um, First of all, you have to write these resumes so that they will be read by these online tracking system software. When you submit to an online or when you submit an online application, it's not being read by a person, it's being read by a computer and the software. And most people's resumes, uh, many people's resumes might be getting kicked out because of formatting stuff that you use. I tell people, don't do any fancy formatting. Lines, border lines, all that stuff can can actually throw off your information. Hmm. If somebody tells me they've submitted you know, a hundred applications more and haven't heard a single thing. I said, your application is not, your resume is not getting into their system because otherwise you would show up at least once. But, so that's one thing. Um, another thing is it's all about your accomplishments. 
It's really, really about your accomplishments. So you need to start there. You don't start, if anybody gets the guide, you'll see what I'm talking about. But you, you, you start with your accomplishments first and develop a really good list of those. And then you pick the best of those for your resume. And, only put, and, then, and then that forms the background, the backbone of the resume and is what will make you stand out in the crowd. So that's number two is, is having accomplishments on your resume. And then three would be having keywords. Most people do not put keywords, but keywords is an accepted thing to have with your bottom of your resume, certainly for online applications. But now even for a hard copy, we're used to seeing competencies, keywords, or whatever, you know, in documents. So it's no problem having it at the bottom of your resume. So those, there's three things. I mean, they say there's a lot of, all of those tips are important that are in there that most people don't know about. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one about keywords is huge because I think a lot of people don't realize that computers are just entirely filtering out all the things, all the resumes that don't have the, the keywords that the hiring managers are looking for. So Yes, and if you want to know what what keywords to put in there, um, you can look at the job postings of the ones that you're interested in and look for the keywords in there and then make sure that those keywords are in your keyword section. Now, here's the caveat. You have to be able to do those things. I'm not saying you just pick them out there if they don't apply to you. But if they apply to you, yeah, definitely put them down in there. Yeah, that's great. And then so there's kind of the the tailoring the resume part of job hunting. And then as far as the more um, outreach style of finding a job, as, as far as networking, what do you recommend people do to, to find a job when it comes to networking? Well, again, the first thing they have to do is make sure that their LinkedIn profile is, is fixed so that it's helping them. And then you've got to make sure as part of that, you wanna make sure that you've got an adequate number of connections because there's sort of a critical mass and then for connections on LinkedIn, it seems to be like about 300 people because then those 300 know they're, you know, however many they know and it, it just expands. The idea is to be findable, <laughs> to be able to be found on LinkedIn. And so you need to be connected to a lot of people. The other thing is to join groups um, where the people that you might want to be found by would be hanging out in. Um, and that is a little bit of a strategy to that. But you, if you belong to groups, then people can find, if you belong to the same groups, similar groups, then you can be found that way as well. Because most people who are in hiring positions do not, have access to the entire LinkedIn database because it costs too much. You know, you can get it, but it's very expensive. And huge corporations might pay to have that, but the average recruiter or hiring person does not. So you have to be connected to them somehow. So you want to make sure that you are connected to as many people as you can be. So that's kind of, so So I do, LinkedIn is kind of the, the second step after you get the resume. And then the third step is now you start reaching out and talking to people, going to events. Volunteering is huge. Volunteering is, is really good because you can be doing something that you enjoy, that you feel good about, that, that serves others. You're not thinking about yourself, but you find opportunities to talk to people, you know, potentially, that would then be wanting to help you. So there's, there's all different ways and going, 
to network events. You can go to job. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you, these, uh, it's not job boards. Uh, job, job fair. Job fairs. Thank you. Uh -huh. I hate it when my brain freezes. Up. <laughs> uh, you go to job fairs. You know, some, some of them are better than others. And you want to go to the ones that you think are actually going to be helpful in terms of the companies you'd be interested in working for um, being there. But um, it, it's really just, you have to reach out. You've got to talk to anybody and everybody. You just never know who's going to have that connection that you need. Did I answer yeah. your question adequately? I'm not sure. It's a long answer. No, that was great. I think that was a lot of really good tips as far as, you know, what somebody can do other than just, I think often people just have the strategy of, oh, I'll make my resume look good and then just push it out onto a bunch of these, um, you know, job applications online. Yeah, um, and the problem with that is um, many times because it's online, the, the, the company that's doing the hiring is getting hundreds of applications. And when you're in the middle of, you know, hundreds, a pool of hundreds, it's hard to stand out. You know, even they might just read the first 50 and they might find two or three that they're interested in. And they'll just stop right there. Right. And you're the 51st one to come in. So they don't even see yours. Um, sometimes they are posting them because they have to post those positions, but they actually already know who they're going to hire. I don't know if you're aware of that, but that happens, too, because um, I think it's EEOC requirements sometimes make you post a position and go through all the motions. I've been in that situation before where I was hiring and had to do that. And I knew who I wanted to hire, but you basically had to prove they were still the best candidate. Um, so you don't know which positions those are. So your best bet is to find those positions that have not been posted yet or just being posted or, you know, somebody in the know will know about. So that's why you have to talk to people. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I think often the hiring manager, you're at such an advantage if they know something about you personally um, before right. you before you start that process. So that's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. What are some of your favorite books or resources um, for, for engineering or for, um, for helping engineers? Oh, gosh. You should have warned me of this question ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> I have read uh, a lot of self-help books. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Um, what is one I could recommend? Um, I'm going to go blank. I'm going to have to send you a list. How about okay. that? I like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that works yeah. just great. <laughs> yeah, give me give me a little bit of time to think it through, and, and I'll, I'll come up with something. Um, but it depends on what it is you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. There are some really good books out there if you're trying to transition, you know, from in your field or transition to a different job. Mm -hmm. There are books out there if you want to build your own business, which I'm getting more and more convinced that we should think about doing so we have a backup. Um, so there's a lot of books that I could recommend for helping you, how, showing you how to grow a business effectively so that yeah. you're not one of those, you know, was it 90% that failed the first year or whatever that number is, it's high. So yeah. um, there's ways around that. There's ways around that. So it just depends on what we're looking at. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. I know that one thing that engineers are looking to develop is their productivity um, at work. Are there any mm -hmm. tips that you, um, that you work with people on to become more productive? Yeah. 
one of the best ones, well, first of all, is dealing with emails and trying to get rid of as many as you can. Um, it's a constant battle, I know, but having, being productive sometimes is a matter of getting rid of clutter, and that is a type of mental clutter. So whatever we can do to learn how to get more effective dealing with emails and clearing them out, the better. Um, and speaking of clutter, clearing out clutter in your own environment. It, it, clearing off your desk makes your mind freer to think and, and get things done. Um, and then another, another thing is to have a plan for your life, have your goals. If you know what it is you're trying to accomplish within the next five to 10 years, and you've mapped that, you know, kind of backed it up to what you need to be doing on a regular basis in order to get that done and scheduling those things, you find that you get a whole lot, a whole lot more done, you know, and then you've got to, and then of course, planning your day and, and doing your best to eat that frog. That's a really good book I could recommend called Eat That Frog. Have you heard of that one? Yeah. Uh, Brian Tracy, is that I right? believe so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's about doing the hardest thing first and getting it out of the way. And we tend to do just the opposite. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that one was, that was a very, very good book. I highly recommend that one. So, you know, having a plan for your day and actually I, I heard a tip just today about that where make your to-do list, but not only make your to-do list, but actually schedule when you're going to be doing them mm -hmm. as best you can. Not knowing that we have to be flexible, things, things happen. But more often than not, if you have things on your schedule, you're going to end up getting them done. So that that's a real big tip that I could recommend. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So I'm curious when you go about um, scheduling your day, um, if you do, what does that look like? Or, or well, planning I mean, your day? When you're planning your day, it's what it looks like is you kind of chunk out times to do things. So... It's really good. Now, it, it's it's not always feasible. Some of us, we have to live by email. We have to be available when people contact us, depending on the position you're in. But if it's possible for you not to look at email first thing in the morning, you know, get your cup of coffee, go sit down at your desk and tackle the first thing on your list before you ever look at email, you're going to get things done. So it's good if you can, you know, have a schedule, kind of a, have a plan of how you're going to attack your day. And then... Chunk out times. If you've got to work on a report, give yourself an uninterrupted time on your calendar when you're going to work on it, say for an hour or two and, and work on that. And then get something, get, you know, the next thing that's on, you need to be working on, set a time for that. If you need to have time with family or friends, schedule the time. Don't just say, well, when I get the opportunity, put it on your calendar. And more often than not, you will find that these things get done. And yes, they do get, we do get interrupted. But if you get interrupted, go back as soon as you can. What reason why I say try to block time, you know, so you have chunks in your day, you know, that you're doing certain things is because every time we get interrupted and we're doing something, we have to, not only do you lose the time that you're working on, but you have to then when you come back to it, you got to spend time picking back up and getting back to where you were, figuring where you were, and then starting over again, right? Yeah. They've, they've learned that with schools, and some schools have gone to block scheduling where they'll have, you know, longer classes, you know, and only have them say a couple of times a week, you know, and they alternate what you're doing on a given day so that they can have longer because they realized 
that kids could retain more, learn more faster that way without the constant interruption starting and stopping each day. So um, that does that answer the question without without? Oh yeah, arguing? yeah. No, those there are some great productivity tips in there. I, I yeah, I appreciate that. And I think the Brian Tracy Eat That Frog is a fantastic book and mm-hmm. just developing the habit. Um, and I, I definitely failed this myself sometimes, but <laughs> well, of yeah. what is the hardest thing? What's the most important thing that you can get done? And then throwing that as your first thing in the morning and eating that frog and then having your day get easier and easier um, as it goes on. Yeah, I, I got to tell you about this visual that I use if I'm speaking. Do I have, do I have time to tell you that? I'll do oh, it real of course. quickly. Yeah. It's the one with the jar where you have you put in big rocks Mm-hmm. And you see how many will fit in the jar. And then you go with smaller rocks and you put those, see how many of those will go. And then you go with sand until the jar is full. And then eventually, is the jar still full? Is it full? Can you add anything else? No. Yes, you can. You can pour water in there. Okay. So you get a, a jar now that's full of stuff. But if you pour all that stuff out, and if you just start with the water first and then put the little stuff in, you will never get those big rocks in. So yeah. you have to do the big stuff first. Get the big stuff done, and the more less important, the smaller stuff you can fit in and get it done. That's that's the uh, idea of the productivity that is important to keep in mind. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I love that visual. Yeah, so thanks so much, Terry. I, I appreciate all the tips you passed along. There's been a lot of gold nuggets in here. Um, is there anything that you'd like to leave our audience with? Well, I just say it's great to be here, and I hope that as many of you will take advantage of coaching as you can. If you want to reach me, you can reach me right now at terry at theengineerscoach.com. That website is the www.theengineerscoach.com. I am going to be pivoting a little bit, but there will be links there when that happens. So, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me there, and I would welcome a chance to visit with you and, and help you out. And uh, great luck in your careers. I just want to see everyone get to where they are being the best that they can be at their careers and their lives in in general. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much for letting me be here. This has been a blast. Thanks so much for coming on, Terry. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Engineer Soft Skills Podcast. If you're interested in more, you can go to engineersoftskills.com to check out more videos, podcasts, articles, and to download a free PDF called The Ultimate Guide to Soft Skills. This is a 25-page ebook covering the best of what I've learned on how to level up your soft skills in order to develop a career and life that you love. Thank you for listening.